And just while you're finding um, Ephesians chapter 1, with your finger or something in Matthew chapter 16, let me pray. Jesus' words, I will build my church. And as Nick was praying just now, we feel so privileged, Lord. Thank you for the gift that is the church. You're calling us and forming us. Lord, as we continue in our series on the creed, we want to understand what it is that we mean when we say, I believe in the holy Catholic church. Teach us, Lord, realign if necessary our thinking Inspire us, encourage us, fortify us through your word, by your spirit. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, if you're visiting or um, new to us, we have, as as Nick was alluding to in the prayers, we've been um, preaching our way through the creed. Um, this uh, formulation of creedal statements as much to explain and defend the Christian faith um, in the first few centuries of the the church's existence. And um, we've been working our way through, and I'm pleased to say that you can get some of the talks uh, immediately after this service if you have access to the World Wide Web, because you simply go www.stdionis.org.uk, and then you'll see on the bars down the side, there's an audio button, and you click on that, and you can get um, nearly all the inside-out talks from the last few weeks, and you can get um, the last four or five sermons on Sunday. And what we're looking to do now is to record the ones on tape, somehow onto, uh, digitally, so that we can uh, get the whole of the series. And uh, you can listen to that, download it, and listen to it at your leisure. Um, once again, huge thanks to, to Colin Thomas who has been the, the techie expert behind that. Incidentally, if you want to know what we got up to on the weekend away, um, there's a little stash of photos on the news page of the website. You can just click and see all the fun we got up to there. I will build my church, Jesus says. And the words that is most often translated uh, church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. And it's a compound word, two words, ek meaning from, and uh, the klezia bit is the, from kalio, uh, I call. So literally, ekklesia is a, is a gathering of called out people, called out from a context or situation. Uh, but uh, and we get the word ecclesiastical from, from that Greek word. But what about the word church, our English word church? That comes from another Greek word, um, kuriake, which means belonging to the Lord. And the, the German word kirche, or the Scot- in Scotland, the kirk, uh, and our, the derivative of that in our English language, the church, comes from there. So the called out ones, or, or chosen ones, if you like, you know, this idea of sort of being selected, picked out for a particular purpose, and belonging to the Lord, those two things, we put them together, that's, if you like, a working definition for the church. Those who are called or chosen by God and belong to him. His possession, his delight, his joy. I wonder if you've ever thought of yourselves like that, uh, as an individual, part of something bigger. As we gather here this morning, we are the possession of God and his delight 
He's thrilled that we're meeting. I mean, I'm quite pleased about it, but he's delighted. He's thrilled. Because way before the beginning of time, he had you and I in mind. He had us in mind here. The Bible tells us that he delights over us with singing. Called out, belonging to him, special. What do you do with your special possessions? You've got something really valuable or, or treasured. Special. What do you do? You, you look after it carefully, don't you? And, and no doubt you mark it in some way. You can get those um, pens down, can't you? The sort of invisible pens, you know, they, they uh, show up under ultraviolet light. So you can mark something that's treasured or valuable. Just look with me at Ephesians 1 and verse 13. A second part, right at the bottom of the page. When you believed, Paul writes, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We've been marked, sealed. We are his. And that is what it is to be the church, the called out or chosen ones belonging to the Lord. Something to note here, and uh, it, it is just that in our English usage of the word church, there's an unfortunate double meaning. We use the same word church to refer, we tend to, to the, to the building, the place where we meet. So um, we tend to think of church often as one of those sort of big buildings with a pointy roof and a, a spire or a tower. And, and so we often say, don't we, and we know what we mean. Oh, I'll, I'll, are you going to church this Sunday? I'll see you in church. And we mean, I'll, I'll see you there then. But church is, according to the Bible, it is only actually the gathering of the people called out for a purpose and belonging to God. Church is not something that you go to. Church is something that we are. Church is not something that we go to. It's something that we are. We are church, whether we meet here or in the pub or on the green or in Starbucks or wherever it might be. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, just a few chapters on from the chapter we had read, where two or three meet in my name, there I am in the midst. And the inference, there's church. So when our house groups meet midweek, and people uh, commune with one another, sh- share elements of their lives around the study of scripture or prayer or just, just in fun. That is a sense, that is an expression of church. Our midweek groups are church every bit as much as what we do here is church. So church is a living thing. It's not a pile of um, stone and mortar. It's, it's human beings. You and I, called for a purpose. And you'll see that uh, in this, uh, Paul's reference to the Ephesians as well. Look, uh, and I just want to spend a little bit of time in this, but not too much. I'm conscious that we've spent quite a lot of time in Ephesians recently. But um, look at verse 22. God placed all things under his, that's Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What is um, the point of the church? Why has God called the church? Why does Jesus say, I will build my church? What's the church for, this gathering of people? Well, it's so that we can be 
the, the physical expression of Christ's body on earth. God placed all things under him who is the head for the church, which is his body. When, when Christ came, he could have come in any manner of forms. He was the, the pre-existent, transcendent God. He could have come as a wind or a power or some kind of invisible force. But he chose to be born of the Virgin Mary. He chose to live in flesh and blood, just like you and I. So that we could be, as it were, touched by him, embraced by him. So that he experiences everything that we experience whilst here on earth. He lived in a body. And although we haven't uh, actually covered this in our creedal series, died, resurrected, ascended. And so Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. How is it that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, can be as real to people today as Jesus was then? Well, it's as the Spirit lives in us and we are his body. We are his body. When Jesus says you will do even greater things than me, different interpretations of what he means there. But I think one of the things it must mean is this, that Jesus, when he was here on earth, can only be in one place at any one time. And actually, according to our records, he never really travelled outside of an area wider, larger than Wales. But we believe in, as I'll come on to say, the universal church. If we are his body, we can live and impact every single part of the globe at one and the same time. As we meet here, there are thousands of other Christians meeting in this city. Thousands, nearly a million, in this nation. Millions across the world who've prayed the same kind of prayers, studying the same scriptures, worshipping and fellowshipping in much the same way. Different languages, different customs, different backgrounds, but all worshipping God. His body, representing him who is the fullness, who fills everything in every way. Paul says in the letter to the Corinthians, you are, you plural, you are the body of Christ. And everyone has a part to play. doesn't matter how insignificant you may feel, how lowly or unworthy the part that you offer is it's vital i bet there's very few of you who were aware of your trigeminal nerve it's one of the smallest nerves in the body it's located somewhere in the neck and yet it is the nerve that is responsible for enabling us to swallow if we weren't able to swallow we we wouldn't live we wouldn't be able to take in water and food naturally It's a tiny nerve, and yet it plays such a vital part. You didn't even know it existed. You weren't even aware it was working right now in your body. But if it isn't, (laughs) you're dead. Tiny, tiny, and yet can have such an impact. Some of us, we think, oh, you know, I'm I'm not really worth anything. Others are more important than me. We think we're so insignificant that we can't play a part. If, If you're feeling insignificant and small and tiny, if you feel that you you have no impact to make as part of God's church, then clearly you've never been to bed with a mosquito.
we can have an extraordinary impact if we recognize who we are. We are the body of Christ and every single one of us has a part to play. Well, now, what about this, uh, this creedal statement here? Um, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And here, if you want to flick back now to Matthew chapter 16, page 930. We'll come on to that. Thinking of us as the church, this living organism, God's or Christ's body, manifest on earth. But this statement maybe can give rise to two misunderstandings. The first is, um, I believe in the Holy Church, the Holy Church, and and uh, because of our understanding of the word holy, we, we may be given to think that that means that the church is is absolutely perfect. And um, whilst there may be beautiful buildings that we come to, the people, well, I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that I really can say that the, the, the church as people are perfect. Uh, look at the history of the church. Look at the people that I know round about today. It always seems to be so full of, well, plonkers, to put it bluntly. Hypocrites. People who mess it up and stuff it up. And I want to say yes, absolutely. Um, we get it wrong. On a line-hearted note, these are just, and there's a whole load of these, um, just things that are collected from ways in which churches have stuffed up their bulletin boards or their notice sheets. This announcement for a prayer and fasting conference. The cost for attending the fasting and prayer conference includes meals. Notice in the notice sheet. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of all those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. The peacemaking meeting scheduled for day to today has been cancelled due to a conflict. The vicar will preach his farewell message, after which the choir will sing, break forth into joy. The evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. The senior choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the choir. And uh, the low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7pm. Please use the back door. <laughs> we get it wrong, don't we? We're insensitive. We, we stuff up. We make all sorts of mistakes. The church is not perfect yet. And that notion is that, you see, one day we believe the church will be. There, there's coming a day when Christ returns, when he will, as it were, complete the work that he's begun in each and every one of us. We're, we're a work in progress at the moment. Maybe we ought to sort of wear T-shirts with that kind of slogan, you know, caution, God at work, work in progress. We're not there yet, but one day we will be. When he comes, he will complete what he started. And we will be found in the image of Christ. All we will want to do is worship God and wonder at him. And we'll do that together with thousand upon ten thousand, the Bible says in the book of Revelation. It's a wonderful image. That's where we're heading. We're not there yet. We're not perfect yet, but we, we aspire to that, if you like. We go with the work of God in our lives. So what does holy mean then, if we're not perfect? Holy, the, the derivative literally means um, to cut. And so uh, a, a sense of someone or something being holy is that it's, it's kind of cut from wherever it was, its context. It's set apart. 
It's, in that sense, uniquely placed or uniquely different. And so when we say we believe in the Holy Church, we're saying that we believe that the Church is uniquely set apart. Not superior, but set apart. It's uniquely different. And I want to just look at these few verses in Matthew's Gospel to see how it is that the Church and Christians can claim that the Church is set apart and uniquely different in some way. Three things, briefly. There's a unique founder. The church is founded on Jesus Christ. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? People sort of working out who this rabbi is from Nazareth. And they say, well, some say this, some say that. Yeah, we've been talking about it, Jesus. We've been kind of, you know, we're not quite sure, you know, something about you. And Peter, who he's versed in his scriptures to an extent, and he's been hearing all the gossip. He he kind of, he wonders. He he acts on a hunch. I I, I wonder. I've heard... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see, I'm going to try this out, I'm going to say it. You, you're, you're the Messiah, you're the Saviour, you're the Christ. The anointed one, the special one, you are the chosen one of God. The son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You're absolutely right, Peter. You're absolutely right. Jesus is the unique founder of the church, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we've looked in our creedal statements on Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, at what that means for Christians. The church, I will build my church, Jesus says, and it's built on him, the unique founder. But secondly, it's a unique foundation Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. Just look down at the little footnote for verse 18, bottom right hand. And you'll see there it says that the Greek for Peter means rock. And actually in the Greek it is, I tell you that you are Petros, and on this Petra I will build my church. It's a play on words. In other words, because of what Peter has recognised, glimpsed and responded to, because of his confession, his speaking out the truth about Jesus, Jesus says, upon you, Peter, and, and specifically upon that confession that has come out of you, that recognition out there of who I am, I'm going to build my church. Peter, I'm going to give you a nickname, you're called Rocky. And on this rock, this solid foundation of your confession of faith, I'm going to build my church. Do you notice that it's not down to Peter's intelligence or ingenuity? The Christian church is not founded on human ideology. It's not just another good idea along with all the other good ideas, no matter how worthy they may be, that meet together in our community. There are all sorts of called out and gathered people. All sorts of people who meet for a purpose. Laudable, fantastic purposes. We have three in the separate Alcoholic Anonymous groups that meet uh, in the mission hall during the week. One of the many users. Lots of laudable groups that meet. Fantastic. A, a, A group meeting for a purpose. 
But where the church is, is unique, is holy in that sense, set apart, is that we've, our work, our gathering is all centered and founded on Jesus. And on our recognition of who he is by the grace of God. It was not down to Peter. It was down to the Father revealing to Peter who Jesus is. Do you see that? Verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. The church and the foundation of the church is a gift. God reveals himself to us and enables us to recognize him so that as we respond to what we recognize, we, we come into new life. We come into the church. It's possible to be a member of the church and not a Christian. But once you are a Christian, once you've seen who Jesus is and confessed it in some way, Paul writes in the letter of the Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And as we confess that and, and come to Christ, find ourselves in Christ and he in us, then we automatically become part of the church. We're built onto the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, as Paul says in the letters to the Ephesians, on Peter's confession. It's comforting, isn't it? When we think of what we know of Peter, a hothead, slightly petulant, sometimes putting his foot in it, getting it wrong. We know, don't we, we jump ahead, that he let Jesus down badly, denied even knowing him on three occasions. And yet Jesus still founds his church on Peter. If, if Jesus is willing to say, I will build my church on someone like Peter, is it possible for us to believe that he's willing to include us, to delight in us as part of his people, with all the flaws and the faults and the failings that each of us may have? We join together as his church. Unique founder, unique foundation. And finally, just from here, a unique future. Look at this promise in verse 18. Towards the end, um, I'll tell you, you're Peter on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of death will not overcome it. In other translations, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, symbolizing death. The evil that is prevalent in the world, uh, ultimately sort of, consummated in death itself, the robbing of all life, will not overcome the church. That's the promise. Even where there's intense persecution, look at the history of the church down the ages. Wherever there has been persecution of Christians and persecution of the church, it has flourished. Look at the world today. Where is the church most vibrant? Where is it growing? And the answer is, in those parts of the world where... It, for whatever reason, Christian, Christianity is oppressed or even outlawed. Listen to um, what Tertullian, a Roman writer in the second century, wrote to the authorities in Rome as uh, there was quite intense persecution, uh, martyrdom of many of the Christians worshipping in that time. He says this, Proceed in your career of cruelty. But do not suppose that you will thus accomplish your purpose of extinguishing this hated sect. He's referring to the early church. We, Christians in the church, we are like grass, which grows the more luxuriant, the more often it is mown. 
We're like grass which grows the more luxuriant, the more often it is mown. And uh, it's recorded uh, staggeringly, really, and movingly in the early annals of the church, the first few centuries when some of the emperors were ruthless in their attempt to exterminate the Christian faith, that these guys went to their fate, they went under the lion's den or just to execution, crucifixion, rejoicing. Rejoicing because they were sure of this certain future. Death could not overcome them. The emperor can only kill you. But you see, the resurrection demonstrated to these Christians that Jesus gives you new life. Eternal life. Everlasting life. And that if you're in Christ, then the fullness of him who fills everything is in you. It was a deal. It was a bargain for those early Christians. So a unique founder, a unique foundation and a unique future. Just one little thing before I leave that uh, verse there. I don't know how you picture that. If you do, I'll build my church and the gates of death will not overcome it. I used to picture that for a long, long time. I was familiar with that verse. And I used to picture it as the church kind of having a, a really solid wall, a good foundation and a solid wall. And if there was oppression, if there was uh, spiritual opposition, if the... If, if evil was flourishing, then the church would kind of hunker down, we'd sort of duck our head down like that, put the covers on, and evil coming would, would not be able to prevail against the church. We'd, we'd sort of hunker down and defend ourselves. But someone pointed out to me just recently this fact about gates. In a battle, are gates an offensive weapon or a defensive fortification? I mean, supposing you're in an army and the, and the commanding officer says, right, boys, we're going to charge. He says, oh, great, we're going to charge. Excellent, I'll just grab some gates. I mean, do, do, you, do, you, do you go on the offence with gates or do you look to defend with gates? You, you defend, don't you? You defend with gates. Something is coming in. It's the gates of hell. Hell is the one that is cowering. Hell is the one that is shrinking because the church is on the advance. I will build my church. And it will just sort of whimper away in certain corners of the empire. No, it will, the kingdom of God will advance, Jesus teaches. And the gates of hell, defending there, clinging onto, will not overcome it. That's who we are. In Christ victorious, as you pick up that phrase in the collect that we pray today, millions of people around the world, as we join with the communion of saints, Praying that we stand up in the victory of God. And hell and death and all evil will not prevail. I believe in the Holy Church. Briefly, I believe in the Catholic Church. Let me just say, it's in, the, it's in, it's in italics in the sermon title because it's the title of the sermon. But in the creed, you'll notice that Catholic is a small c. And Catholic, the word just means, or refers to universal, worldwide. I believe in the worldwide church. That whereas Christ inhabited his body in uh, the Middle East at that time, so now by his spirit, through his people, his called out one, his possession, they spread across the world. I believe in the universal church. The misunderstanding has come around the time of the Reformation when the abuses of Rome and the Vatican and, and the, Pope, the Pope caused the reform, reformers, Luther, Calvin, uh, Zwingli and others, to protest 
against the abuses of the universal church at that time. They became Protestants, protesters, and, and we stand in their tradition. Um, Christians in the universal church in England wanted to mark themselves as different from the universal church emanating its authority from Rome and the Pope. So, so they mark themselves as Anglo-Catholics, small c, because we don't stand with the Roman Catholics. And, and that's why I think the confusion has existed to this day. Um, so whilst I might have some differences with those from the Roman element, if you like, of the spectrum, in terms of their understanding of the authority of Scripture set against the authority of the Church and of the Pope particularly, and, and one or two other things. Nevertheless, I believe in the universal or Catholicity of the Church, the worldwide Church. I believe that simply because Scripture is plain. There's a worldwide need. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a worldwide solution. Christ died for all. Then there's a worldwide mandate. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so I love the fact that we can join as the communion of saints, those being made holy, those in the process of being made holy. We join with millions of brothers and sisters worldwide today in the Catholic Church, the Holy Church, set apart for his praise and worship. We join, of course, with our brothers and sisters back through the ages, as Nick led us in prayer, just remembering the work of Wilberforce and others. We think of the vision in this particular place of our forebears, people who have warmed the seats that you are warming now. Uh, sometimes in ages past, hundreds of people who've worshipped here and, and acted as a beacon of light, if you like, a ray of hope, in this area. We think of you and Christian who, who was the architect who designed this building. God bless him, we've done relatively little as a communion of saints to this building over the last 120 years or so. And uh, that's why we have this AV project now. It's, it's as much to honour them, those who had the vision to build a place that would seat 500 or so people. And we want all the people that come, and particularly when the place is full, for everyone to, to hear well what's going on. I was aghast, uh, just as I'm coming into land here, with uh, a sort of application on, on the church. I was aghast to discover, because I always sit up here, that at the back you couldn't hear Sarah and Ann Harrod when they play the flute. Um, it just sort of got drowned out. But now, because of the way we can set up the sound system, you hear wherever you are. So their gifts that they offer to us, we're able to enjoy. It's wonderful that we can hear well. When um, Zebedee Nursery School come in for their nativity play, you, you can't really hear their sweet little voices and their lines. They've sweated over, laboured over to learn their lines for their plays or whatever it is. Well, now we've got a sound system with, these, with two speakers we can put here so every, with a wide pickup so every single word can be heard. Will we see them? Well, not at the moment because they'll just be on the floor here. But if we had the funds in order to, com to complete a, uh, a dais, a, a small discrete platform, they're raised up sufficiently that we'll see what they put all their work into. And the same for baptisms or a school orchestra or whatever it might be. And uh, although this projector is doing us proud, it, it, uh, it gives me the willies every Sunday, if I'm honest. And I can't wait for all the wires and all the sort of untidiness just to be away. This whole thing to be away and just discreetly up there with a screen that we can properly retract and put away so that when we have a funeral like 
the other day, there's no sign of anything else. Um, and, and appropriate, we can just put the screen away and then bring it down again if needs be. I love the fact that with the projector and the technology, a mission partner, someone who will pray, who's beavering away in the universal church somewhere else, can send us a photo via the web and we can download it and we can see who we're praying for. We can see what it is that they're involved in so that we know how to support them in prayer. So that's why I believe in the Holy Catholic Church because we can join with the communion of saints, our brothers and sisters right now and uh, across the world and those who've gone before and we can stand for what the church wants to stand for Christ's body fleshed out and ministering to his poor and needy world Amen Amen Well now you'll see from the order of service that